Welcome all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski. The ocean is on fire. The ocean is on fire, folks. Christo- I'm like, this is not a metaphor. Uh, just before recording, um, I was on Twitter, and literally, the ocean is on fire. We can't play the video on podcast, obviously, yeah. but maybe we'll throw a link in the description. It's got like 5 million views in Twitter in a couple hours. Um Right outside, like an oil rig, mm-hmm. it looks like a scene from Final Fantasy. The ocean is burning because, like, an oil pipe burst or whatever, and that's that's the the context of today's episode in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I, I like that. You, we still like as bad as the world can get, we can still be surprised when there are like apocalyptic situations. Like I, yeah, I like crazy. that energy you're yeah. bringing here right now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you, you look at it, right? There's a, there's another one here from further away and it still looks insane, but it looks worldly. If you see the video I shared with Andy, like the first one that broke, it's like a helicopter, a helicopter is flying over it. And it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. It almost looks like it doesn't even look like ocean until yeah. you see the oil rig. And then it looks like is the cloud on fire? Is that a forest? Mm-hmm. And no, it's literally like ocean on fire. And it's 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 wild. We were talking about it's it. Wild, it, it is the closest thing that anyone could have possibly created to what it looks like if hell was opening up. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't make that, anything yeah. that looked better than this. And of course this isn't, you know, a natural phenomenon. This isn't a volcano that went off, but this is capitalism and this is oil that has been leaking and exploding. Apparently, yeah, it's um, the Pemmax platform. The Gulf of Mexico is now allegedly under control, but they were producing at that time 726,000 barrels per day of crude when this thing happens. And it's just, you know, it, it is terrifying to look at. And this follows a, you know, a, a series of terrifying climate disasters that happened this week. You know, I, I kind of remiss that I'm not back in daytime radio because I, I can just hear it in my head. All the hack radio announcers like playing Cisco's is hot in here and then going like, oh, it's a hot one out here, folks. If you're in on a patio, yeah. you shouldn't be anywhere. <laughs> like I do miss that, how hacky yeah. it is. But uh, yeah, we got to. Uh, this week, I think it was on, let me find out exactly, it was on June 29th, I believe in the small town of Linton, about 200 kilometers from Vancouver, we hit 49.6 degrees Celsius, a, a national Before record. the humid X. Yes, yes, before, before the, the humid X. So that's, right? na- like that, that's you know, actual heat that's yeah. happening, and uh, yeah, apparently schools, universities were closed. I know this has affected everyone. Uh, in the country, one of our uh, Discord patrons was going through an old Guardian article, and I just wanted to, to cite it here a little bit because they, this article really explained what 50 degrees Celsius means. And it is interesting because, as it says here, it's halfway to water's boiling point and more than 10 degrees above a healthy body temperature. Heat becomes toxic. Human cells start to cook, blood thickens, muscles lock, and lungs uh, the lungs and brains are choked of oxygen. In dry conditions, sweat, the body's build-up cooling system, can lessen the impact, but oftentimes this protect- protection actually weakens it and gets cooked on your skin. <laughs> so it's yeah. just... I, I didn't yeah. realize that sounds bad. Yeah. yeah. Like, look, <laughs> it's awful, man. Like it, it's, it's, it's awful stuff, right? Like yeah. 
like and it kills people like these heat waves kill yes. people hundreds of people have died i think in bc as a result of this often elderly and otherwise uh you know vulnerable people like yeah you know whenever you have these big heat waves like people die man did you hear what horgan like, said it, about it uh yeah it wasn't oh. it wasn't great it wasn't great it, it, it was not great when we hear no. the line of you know fatalities are gonna happen like it's just yeah. uh, maybe these leaders aren't really grasping the situation that we're in. We know the conservative party is, and like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when they were trying to introduce uh, just the idea of taking you know this seriously within their own party, and they're not they're, even take just acknowledging. Yeah, sorry, that it was you're right. Re- sorry, what well, one acknowledging that it was real, and two that we would do something about it. Yeah, and that that was just that was just communism. So they like they could they couldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, so it is it's a it's a scary time and we know obviously that these abnormal temperatures and these ecological disasters are due to climate change and due to, you know, our destruction of the natural world. And especially in the example of uh what we brought up at the beginning when the Gulf of Mexico is on fire, like this is directly related to capital run amok. And there are yeah. things that the United yeah. States or the Green New Deal is trying to do to, you know, address some of these issues, even modestly. But like it, we're reaching a point now where we said it before, this is kind of the end of this kind of thing. Like we, we're seeing the impact of the mistakes that we've made. And I don't think any political party in Canada, I don't know off the top of my head, has a needed comprehensive um, platform on the environment that will do enough to really address what we're having so far. We know the liberals certainly don't like I just I and we know the conservatives are, are willing to look the other way and can't even agree that it's necessarily happening. So I don't know. What, what do you what are your take? Is there any party in Canada that you think is actually saying something that's good at, when it comes to the climate? I mean, look, the NDP and the Greens will say some good stuff and they'll do some good things. But the problem is that fundamentally, there's not a, a one a reckoning with the fact that we actually do need a radical decarbonization plan. Mm-hmm. The narrative, even from the Green Party, to a lesser degree than the Liberals, uh, but if you see it, especially in provinces like Alberta with the Rachel Notley NDP, the argument is we need to we need to build a green, um, you know, economy. We need to do it as fast as we can, but we need to use carbon-based fuels to 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 bridge us there, mm-hmm. right? But that's not tenable anymore. Yeah. Right? Like, like, look, if we're honest, if we would have started in the 70s or 80s or 90s, then maybe it would have been. Maybe, honestly, it would have been enough time. Mm-hmm. But, like, we, we fucked around and now we're finding out, right? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so the reality is, like, what, like, the NDP... Uh, whether it's because they have certain economic interests in the party regionally, certain uh, industries are, are not fully willing to to embrace full decarbonization. Uh, you know, that's that's an issue. The Green Party, one, still in certain cases does support pipelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not that distinct. But even if you do take them as being radically environmentalist, which they are not necessarily, for the most part, the current leadership of the Green Party supports like a green capitalism, which is to effectively say that if we empower capital with the right incentives and disincentives, 
they will figure it out. And I'm not saying that there's no role to be played in terms of like, what policies can you pass to make businesses more, uh, more economically or more socially and environmentally responsible. But like, if you think that like tax credits <laughs> are going to fix a fucking ocean on fire, like it's not, that's not going to happen. Right. And so no, no political party in Canada, at least no major party is, is as of right now, willing to reckon with the fact that we need a radical rapid transition, uh, from the economic and environmental status quo. Mm -hmm. Now, again, that's not to be nihilistic. I think that, for instance, on balance, it's still better to vote NDP uh, on these issues than, say, vote liberal or conservative or even green. But if you think the current, you know, center-left NDP is is ready to to have these talks, I don't think they are. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so, right? Like, mm -hmm. um. I don't know. It's too big of a um, move, I guess, in their eyes. Like, unfortunately, well, there are still maneuvering. Move, yeah. And there are, and there are like national concerns and international concerns. Like, it's hard, right? Like, yeah. look, this is, there's a reason why if you watch like science videos on YouTube, Kyrgyzstat does these. Yeah. They're really good. They're really fun videos. Um, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but what they talk about are, are like great filters and the argument is, why are there no other aliens in space that we've seen? Well, there's a lot of hypotheses. One of them is, you know, we're, it, the universe is so vast that we're all too far away from one another. Another one is, though, is that any society that gets advanced enough to get close to intergalactic or, sol or solar system-wide colonization eventually kills itself before that happens. Hmm. And so it might be the case... That like this is this like like climate change might be a great filter for a lot of species in the universe because like there's 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 like there's no sense of social trust either within or between countries and like you could say like oh, well here's our policy but will the economic systems will your neighbors support it like this is why I think a lot of people are are skeptical right now of our ability to meaningfully address climate change within one country let alone you know on a national international basis yeah it's it's like in every good alien invasion movie they take for granted the idea that all of the nations of the world would just come together to face that existential threat when right now we can't do that at all <laughs> that's not happening no. right now with an existential threat that we know is happening like if you think the story of the gulf of mexico being on fire is too far away western canada this week According to this, there was fire clouds, fire clouds, yes, that sparked 710,000 lightning strikes in 15 hours, which according to meteorologists was like the most they have ever seen. And it caused countless uh, forest fires after that. It was just a swath of it. If you look on the, the radars yeah. that they use that they don't normally have, that is a direct result of of this massive heat wave that's coming in that's destroying communities like we there are pictures of it in bc of communities that were destroyed very very quickly by these rapid wildfires it is right now an existential threat and we can't even figure out if there's one major party that we can support that's willing to push the needle because yeah. maybe it is like you said Krista just politically there doesn't seem to be that motivation behind it or it seems too risky despite the fact that half of our country you know was on fire yesterday 
because or this week because of uh, this unbelievable inclement weather. So I just it's a strange move and I'm wondering what it will take for any major political movement to throw out the rule book and say, like, clearly we can't treat things like we did before. Like, clearly yeah. the the demands are different. The, the material circumstances of our existence are different now and we need to throw out the rule book. And I don't think right now any major party in Canada is willing to do that. I think there are politicians that speak on this very well that, that want to push this within these parties. But... You know, Justin Trudeau will not be the one to save you from the lightning storms and forest fires in the same place that he just bought, you know, a pipeline like he will not be the figure that leads us to to freedom here in, in big ways. So, yeah. Anything else on this? Yeah. But before we move on, any other sad things about the weather? Like, I, I think here yeah. in Ontario, at least where I was, it wasn't too bad, but I cannot believe I mean, it was hot here. And it was hot. It was yeah. hot here, too. It, it, it was just like regular crazy heat wave, you mm-hmm. know, like high 30s, mid 30s. But like, look, I mean, the reality is. You know, Canada has passed resolutions basically saying that we are in a climate emergency, right? Mm -hmm. And that's true, but I think that if we honestly want to deal with this, we need to treat this as the biggest fight since World War II. Mm. And that means like a total societal mobilization of our resources, human and material and, and industrial and primary to fight this. And so basically that means we need to do what we did during World War II, which is like, you know, emergency powers. We need to um, nationalize industry. We need to assert direct control and prioritization over private industry as it exists. That's the only way you're going to do it. You need to treat this as you're fighting the fucking Nazis. Mm -hmm. That's that's the only way you're going to win. And so, you know, the only party that even has the ideological framework to deal with that, at least among major parties, is the NDP, because the liberals and conservatives won't support that. And the Greens are too kind of eco-capitalist. And right now they're barely a party, as we might talk about a little bit later. Yeah, like like this is the opportunity for for the left uh, to, to really assert like a Green New Deal. Uh, to assert, like, you know, eco-socialism. You know, it's eco-socialism or it's like, you know, climate barbarism, right? It's Mad Max stuff. It's Mad Max stuff. Like, really, like, we're we're reaching that line. I think you're exactly right that it needs to be a paradigm shift, the likes of which all of us who are living that is listening to this have not seen in our lifetime because if we can't be shook to make big changes now, like we will just have more opportunities with more disasters before, like at at what point will it just be enough? You know, at what point, how many people need to die in these environmental disasters for this change to happen? Because there definitely is like a morbid arithmetic when it comes to these great changes. And I, I think that, once enough rich people lose their vacation homes on like the the west coast that fall into the sea 
we might see that big change. But still, hundreds of people dying in uh, areas outside of Vancouver because of this heat wave, you know, often uh, people experiencing homelessness. That, unfortunately, is not moving the needle. But I, I do have one thing of hope, and it ties well, I me. Mean, one, yeah. one thing, though, and just to... So before you make your hopeful point, yes, <laughs> is that you know as it's gone right now in a lot of ways, it's like the 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 people, the people who suffer yeah. are disproportionately the people who are not at fault, mm-hmm. right? So if you think of where climate change is hitting hardest, it's in developing countries, it's in countries where there's already food insecurity or unstable climates. It's in the, you know, the Polynesian countries that are literally disappearing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the entire nations are, 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 are disappearing back into the ocean as, you know, the sea levels rise, right? And so in essence, you know, the richest and wealthiest nations and in particular, the richest and wealthiest people within those countries have the ability to insulate themselves from the consequence of their climate genocide, basically. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know at what stage this hits white people as hard as it's hitting non-white, you know, people in the developing world. That, but like, I don't know, right? Because like yeah. right now, it's like, look, climate change is having effects here in Canada. We've seen it; it has. But it's not. It's not the same as what's happening in a lot of developing countries. Yeah, uh, it's not the same. And and I don't know if it'll be the same. And so long as rich, white, well-connected, wealthy nations can insulate themselves from climate change or at least have the resources to offset it, I don't know how much is going to change. It's just part of the broad history of environmental racism, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the people who, like you said, are the richest and the most well-off already have maybe a line on their bunkers in New Zealand, you know, once these things really blow up. Like, there definitely is... This That's pandemic, it's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Rich people, a bunch of rich people have billionaires, millionaires. They, they own, they own like bunkers in New Zealand because it's considered to be, you know, out of the way, whether ecological or like nuclear Holocaust yeah. happens. <laughs> Auckland's probably not getting the nuke, right? Yeah. So they think oh, New Zealand will be safe. They have it to protect them from ecological disaster and then yeah. also like their fears of a race war. So it's it's yeah. kind of like both sides yeah. of their terrible coin. So, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I don't see how this horrible arithmetic of life will ever end up really changing things that we need to have changed. The hope that I see is the hope that I felt this week when if you guys, everyone are listening, remembers our show last week, we, we flirted with the idea, as so many other people did, of what it means to have the cancel Canada Day message. You know, mm-hmm. we, this obviously wasn't the time. Graves and graves of, of murdered children, uh, indigenous children by the Canadian government were being discovered. It's something everyone already knew, but there's just more and more. And, you know, it just it really wasn't the time. And the hope that I see is what or that I feel is the hope that I saw this week when thousands and thousands of Canadians took to the streets and protested actively Canada Day and reinforced that message of cancel Canada Day. And most of those people that I saw, even locally here in Guelph, you know, they were spilling paint in front of the church in the, if you've ever been to Guelph, it's this massive Anglican church. It's the center of downtown. And there was a huge rally there. And the thing that made me feel 
hopeful on all of these issues, including our planet slowly burning and no one caring, is that most of the people I saw there were much younger than me and much more aware of something that, you know, 10 years ago, there's no chance that I would be doing that. Even though I think I'm, you know, a pretty progressive person and care about these things, there wasn't that movement. So I don't know what you saw, but I am surprised at how much that motif of cancel Canada day was embraced uh, at least by some segments of the population. And I think we did achieve a little bit of that. Not we, obviously, just this movement achieved yeah. a bit of that shaming and naming people that were going out and, you know, I need to fire fireworks today and, and really pushing that. Like, I did see that at least locally here in uh, Ontario and I think even within the province. So I know we don't live in exactly the same backyard, but yeah, w- what did you think of the whole Ah, Canada Day movement, I guess. I mean, I think that, like, look, there was some polling done. By and large, most Canadians do not want to cancel Canada Day. And I don't think that will be a thing for a long time. But in a sense, there were more people than I expected supporting it. But even beyond the question of cancel Canada Day, not cancel Canada Day, the cognizance that this is not a day that Indigenous people necessarily can or want to celebrate although many do we should we should be clear with that uh the indigenous community is not a monolith Mm -hmm. um you know uh, is 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 unprecedented like you said the amount of people protesting the amount of people acknowledging this i can remember you know it being the fringe of the fringe here in kingston a few years ago Mm -hmm. to, to to protest canada day associated with indigenous people or otherwise. Yeah. It was absolutely a fringe thing in Kingston. Mm-hmm. It was fully expected as the NDP. We have a presence at Canada day because we want to appear like we like Canada. And there were reluctance to be critical of Canada day because we didn't want to look like we were anti-Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's from a, a, a pretty progressive group of NDPers in a university town, Kingston. Right. Yeah. Um, now, I would think that, like, if I spoke to the same NDP executive, I'm not currently on it, but I, you know, I, I, I'm still cognizant with people, the balance would be the NDP should not have a presidency, uh, presidency at Canada Day. Uh, whether or not we actively protest it would be, like, another thing, but the NDP would not attend. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a massive sea it's change. Huge. That's from, huge, like, how yeah. I, for I would predict, like, my, the local left response in Kingston to Canada Day. Um, I think you're right. Uh, generations are driving it, uh, whether it's climate or whatnot. Youth today are much more politically engaged uh, than than I think we were when we were younger, mm-hmm. and um, and and generally engaged in the right direction as well. But I mean, I'm not sure if this is the best conversation to have. Um, one of the reasons is that if we make it primarily about cancel Canada Day or not cancel Canada Day, the conversation sort of gets bookended on July 1st or July 2nd. Mm -hmm. We're recording this on July 2nd. And then it's like, okay, that debate is over because Canada Day obviously, for the most part, wasn't canceled. Uh, But these issues are still going on. I believe it was yesterday there was another discovery of a mass grave of Indigenous children. This one, I believe, somewhere in the 100s. Relatively small, uh, compared to the previous two, but um, still uh, tragic nonetheless. And I don't know if that's like the 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 perfect place to have this discussion. 
-hmm. But I do think the fact that people are having it, that people were willing to say we should either cancel Canada Day or scale back Canada Day or interrogate Canada Day is something I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and and I, can't, I can't think of the last time that's ever happened. Uh, and I don't know if it ever has happened. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't see that in the United States, for instance. It seem, you don't see a, a mass movement to not celebrate the 4th of July based on the racial inequities of the United States, which are, of course, also very real, both against African-Americans and indigenous people uh, in, in, in that country. Um, so I, I do think it's something worth noting. Um, if there is going to be a broad cancel Canada Day movement, you might see it develop, you know, over the course of a couple years. With this happening now, if there was going to be a concerted effort to challenge Canada Day, uh, this wouldn't be the year. Too close. These tragedies broke, you know, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, not enough time to organize necessarily, but also um, it wasn't. There wasn't really a sense for how real this Canada Day was. Yeah. Uh, we didn't go to any ceremonies because uh, my both uh, my wife and I are vaccinated, but we have a son who is not. And you, know, of course, most um, most events are are you know most most things are still kind of closed or partially closed. So, you know, it wasn't a real Canada Day in terms of, like, the potential parties a lot of cities throw. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know how much we can glean in that sense. Yeah, but, no, it does make sense yeah. what you're saying. Because the victories need to be big enough when you're actually pushing against, you know, this hegemonic genocide. And I think you make a really good point about how fickle these sort of movements can be when they are centered around one very observable win or loss sort of uh, framework when this is not something that is, you know, we have not solved the genocide of indigenous people when if Canada Day is canceled, like if they don't shoot off fireworks at, uh, you know, the parliament buildings, that doesn't solve anything. And I think for some people that would be enough, you know, that that is the extent of their uh, activism when it comes to this sort of thing. But I think more than that, because I, I agree with you, I, that, that's 100% right. The thing that really gave me that sense of hope was just to see the fact that it was being considered and uh, locally and, and a lot of the events that I saw were being driven in conjunction with indigenous communities that have been victimized by young people that are, are trying to instill this sort of ideology into their ongoing political thoughts. And my hope at least is that that will bleed into like, just as time progresses more and more progressivism in these political parties that we just said, when it comes to climate, especially are not doing enough. So that, that is the one hope that I am having. The other downside to all of this is of course, what the reactionaries can say, because this gave Aaron O'Toole a great opportunity to say that, you know, he was the only le uh, uh, leader of a party that cared about Canada, that he's proud of yeah. it. And his exact line when uh, responding to a, st a statue of Queen Victoria, again, I, I don't know why that's so important to him being ripped down and paint being thrown on it, that this is not the road to reconciliation. Reconciliation builds up our country. Actions like this tear down and destroy. I believe in Canada, and that includes our ability to meaningfully address our past while securing a future that includes 
everyone. So there is absolutely a downside that we get these ghouls to have a little bit more of a platform. But I think just there's enough people that felt moved by this tragedy, this ongoing genocide that wanted to do something and and say something. So, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I am hopeful that maybe this was some this stirred something in people that normally wouldn't even consider it, you know, like I think that maybe like, I don't know. What do you think that, you know, neoliberal Justin Trudeau liberals were at least indicating that they were standing out, not even canceling, but, you know, there's they're sitting out of any uh, Canada Day celebrations this year. Do you think that would be a reasonable position that they would feel safe in taking? I mean, maybe. Right. Yeah. I think it's like. Right now, it's like the the outrage machine. I'm not sure. This year again, I I, I don't I don't want to make any. This year is not it's not a regular Canada Day. Yeah. Some towns, COVID's still too high. Like, I don't even know what participating in Canada Day. Like, look, we don't go. Like, just my family, we don't we don't we we we, we don't go to. I don't know if Kingston did anything. I actually don't know. Yeah. We stayed home because COVID's <laughs> still on. Yeah. Guidelines are still you stay home whenever you can. So I, I don't want to make a projection about that right now. I think the real test is going to be next year in terms of do people, in particular indigenous communities, um, make the demand that we, we boycott Canada Day or challenge Canada Day. And I think that's going to be the real the real time to have that discussion. Uh, right now, I think there's too many variables with COVID in particular yeah. to be like whether or not this is a... Um, whether or not this is a... Like a thing that's that 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 politicians are coming o- open with. I mean, the standard line from most politicians right now is, you know, we celebrate Canada Day uh, for the good that our country is, but we also reflect on the need to be better. That's the argument that a lot of people are making. A lot of the uh, word we recognize, uh, yeah, right? A yeah, lot of that. Exactly. It's <laughs> it's it's mostly bullshit. But that's that's the line right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I I do know that one politician wants us all to know that she takes this very, very seriously. And it was actually a politician we mentioned before. She was one of our worst Canadians of the week. I think it was last week or the week before. Yes, it was. Carolyn yep. Bennett. She's uh, on to Twitter. She's, she wants everyone to know she's taking this very seriously. And she used the phrase, we recognize that for many, Canada Day is not an occasion to celebrate. The discovery of Armand Graves and just yesterday, more has been deeply emotional and traumatic for Indigenous peoples across the country. And she's holding the Every Child Matters uh, T-shirts as well, which is kind of interesting and looking very somber. And of course, this is ridiculous because we have seen in our previous episode how opportunistic and possibly you know careerist this particular politician can be with the text that she sent to... What was the other politician name? Sorry, it escapes me now. That she sent the text uh, oh, to. Oh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Jody Wilson-Raybould. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you know, yeah. suggesting that a, an indigenous woman was using these huge discovery of this tragedy so that she can ensure that she gets her pension later. So we we talked last week about, you know, would Carolyn there be a push for her to lose her job maybe because like she has a position where her only job really is not to say this kind of shit and like to be connecting to these communities and was doing the exact opposite would she be in the running for losing her job 
what we saw with this, it looks like maybe this was her mea culpa. And now, you know, she's good in maybe the eyes of uh, Trudeau and the governing body. I don't know. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's so bullshit, man. Yeah. Like, like she like tries to tweet about this on July 2nd, not necessarily uh, or, or, or I believe the day after can when, when did she tweet that out? The first one was it. July 1st, but then yeah. she added all of the inflammatory additions yeah. about the truth and reconciliation commission's report the next day. Yeah. And so clearly she was one of these people that like, Oh, we have to celebrate Canada day. We have to celebrate this country, but do better. And like, it's like you're you're the minister in response to like this particular portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. And like, to me, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Uh, she needs to still resign. Yeah. If you read the replies to her tweet, basically most of them are like, "Resign? Why haven't you resigned? Please resign." You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I just, yeah, she she. She really thinks that, like, having a sad look on her face and then, like, basically being like, oh, you know, we just got to do better. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, she's part of the problem, right? Yeah. She's 100% part of the problem. Um, She needs to resign. Yeah. Um, That's the only thing she can do. Um, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> like she said, these events have awoken many Canadians to the grim reality of the racist and colonial legacy of the residential schools. That's true, but you're the minister for Crown Indigenous Relationship. Isn't it your job to yeah. awaken them? Why like... couldn't you have an awakened that? Why couldn't you have awoken that? You know, you've been an MP since like the nineties, Carolyn. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. You've been in since ninety-seven. I don't know. If she was a cabinet minister. Let's look this up. Yeah, Carolyn like it was. Bennett. It was her job to do this. But Carolyn Bennett was an MP back during the Chrétien Martin years, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, she got elected in nineteen ninety-seven for Toronto St. Paul's. She's still the MP there. Um, she was a minister of state for public health, so she was never a top minister in her original run for uh for uh, as a as an MP. Mm-hmm. But like you know, you were uh, you've been an MP for more than a generation now. Isn't it your job to like <laughs> to 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 like help awaken people about this, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, you just let a horrific discovery happen, um, and now you're trying to like build on it, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, like, she's really- she's everything that's wrong with like she's indicative of everything that I think I can speak for myself that is just despicable with the push of modern day neoliberalism where the onus is entirely on the uh, oppressed groups to push the needle. And once that does happen, then we have PR politics in a big way. And there is no time that is worse for that than right now when our glorious Rockies are being struck by Zeus and destroyed and just down south, you know, uh, Hades is coming out of the water like this is end (laughs) times type of shit. And we don't need like just quit your job. We'll get someone in there that will say radical things that we need. Like there is no longer this. um allowance for these personal politicians that that seem to not be dedicated to the same level of service that is required of these positions like i get it but we now need a different breed of politician or else like i don't think i'm being 
facetious here, we could all be destroyed. <laughs> like this could be yeah. mass extinction stuff. Like this is a step too far. And I just, you know, we look at where the parties are going and what they have. I, I think there was a, a poll recently that showed uh, Singh having incredible approval numbers in comparison to uh, other leaders. I don't know if you have that one handy. I know we were talking about. Yeah, it he was the only in the most recent. He was you know about plus ten, but he was the yeah. only one that was in the positives with O'Toole and Paul and Trudeau all all negative and Paul and Trudeau or and O'Toole would be quite negative in recent yeah. polling. Yeah. And, and it's not like he and the whole the point of that is not as if Singh says all of the right things, you know, like we, we've no. criticized the NDP in the past, but specifically he is considered one of the most recognizable and not beloved, but most uh, considered leaders that has the highest approval. And even then, it's not really enough for the times that we have. And I think for some Canadians, there was supposed to be this alternative in the Green Party. You know, that was supposed to be yeah. the one that is really pushing these issues that we're talking about now. Even if it was just Elizabeth May and uh, a couple of people that she knows, at least there was that idea that that was what was pushing it. And we have seen that federal party just magnificently collapse in oh, yeah. the last week. Like it is, well, I know been you've been following, following Yeah, you've been following it. So please tell uh, all us folks, cause it is, it is kind of wacky. The stuff I've been hearing Soviet style tactics, I think was one yeah, of the yeah. So Just one quick thing. <laughs> what, trending right now on Twitter is Cthulhu. Uh, in oh, reference good. <laughs> to the, the ocean on fire that this is Lovecraftian, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but no specific, we've talked about it, how it sort of kicked off with a, um, you know, uh, the Green Party putting out a horrible Palestine statement. Mm-hmm. Jenica Atwin from Fredericton, the Green MP, now a Liberal MP, criticizing the party. In response, one of the top uh, advisors to Annamie Paul, the Green Party leader, coming out and saying that his goal was to defeat Jugmeet Singh and the NDP and even some Green MPs that took positions that weren't ardently Zionist. Uh, in response to that, Jenica Atwin quit the party now to be critical of Atwin. As soon as she joined the Liberals, she backed off her own good Palestine statement. But let's leave her aside. Mm-hmm. After that point, um, Elizabeth May and Paul Manley, the other two Green MPs, they only have three, and Amy Paul is not currently a member of Parliament, uh, put a press release basically demanding an apology. Uh, and the Green Party's federal council, I'm not sure what they call it, but the federal leadership of the Green Party, uh, like, you know, the party executive came out and said that, you know, we want her to acknowledge that her staff person did something wrong and to basically take ownership of it. And Annami Paul, at least at this point, does not appear willing to do it. And so basically she's willing to basically stand by this uh, staffer of hers who put out this deeply um, inappropriate message um, rather than deal with this, mm-hmm. um, uh, rather than uh, just apologize and maybe save the leadership. And as a result, there is a chance here. This is from the CBC a couple days ago, basically saying that the, the party has a July 20th uh, non-confidence vote to, to, to address this and it includes potentially um, her expulsion from the party 
or her expulsion from leadership. And this is coming at a time where in the run-up to an election, it hasn't been called yet, but I think the inkling is you're, we're going to be looking at an October election sometime in mid-late October. Um, the Green Party is laying off staff. So this yeah. piece basically says that the Green Party will pursue a vote of non-confidence against its leader, Enemy Paul. Um, CBC News has obtained a party statement that says the party's governing body will hold a meeting on July 20th to vote on a motion of non-confidence. Interim party leader, interim party president, Leanna Canton Kuzmano, read the letter out today at a member's town hall meeting. The letter says the, the party's council is moving to sanction Paul for, quote, failing to openly condemn the actions of Noah Zatzman. We've talked, that's the, 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 the staff person. He's a former political advisor. He's no longer paid by the party, but to my knowledge, he's still advising her informally. Mm. Um, who called out party members online who criticized Paul's position on the Middle East. And so basically, you know, this is happening. There's also rumors that her and or Zatzman might try to sue the party for demanding <laughs> she apologize. I don't even know wow. on what grounds they would do that. Because... Whether or not you think the Greens are making the right decision, like that's a debate that, you know, they could have. Like the party has a mechanism to replace its leader. And if the um, federal leadership, the federal council of the party uh, agrees to do that, then um, there's nothing I think that she can say. Yeah. Um, and so right now, um, the Green Party is in no position to run its own internal affairs, yet alone be Canada's leader on climate. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's, 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 I don't see that changing. I don't know if Annamie Paul is going to back down. And I don't know if the party is going to call her bluff and actually turf their leader on July 20th, meaning that it, let's say there's an election on October 20th that gives you like basically three months to find a leader. <laughs> you know? Jeez. Again, we, maybe this is the third time in the run of the show we've asked this question. Is this the end of the Greens? I'm not sure, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of it could depend on on do they find somebody better? Yeah. Um, can, uh, let's say, both both Paul Manley and Elizabeth May run as Greens. Do they both keep their seats? That, you know, there maybe there's a chance they could survive. But is this has this cut down any chance that they're going to have positive momentum? I think that's likely the case. You mm -hmm. know, out of the last election, you could say, well, look, we... Uh, we, we've, we mainly was elected in a by-election prior to 2019, but mm -hmm. it wasn't until 2019 that the Greens won more than one seat in a federal election. They have only ever been able to win Elizabeth May's seat. You know, they won it in 2011, defended it in 2015, and then, uh, you know, won that seat plus Manly seat also in Southern BC and that seat in Fredericton. Now that seat's gone. There's no way the Greens are going to be able to win that. Mm -hmm. Atwin's going to take m much of the Green vote with her and take a lot of the Liberal vote with her and she's going to win that seat. I I I'm very confident in that. Yeah. Uh, and so they're already playing a vote down and I don't know if that's like if, if this is going to bode well for them. So is this the death of the Green Party? Potentially. But, you know, they might still be able to kind of like struggle along <laughs> if they can hold on to these two seats they have. May's seat is quite safe. Manley's less so, but he did win by a decent margin in the last election. So he's not like he's on a razor's yeah. edge either. Atwin was, Atwin's win was actually rather closer. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the reasons she left is, is simply because she knew that with the conservatives uh, polling so poorly and the liberals polling quite well, that um, she might lose in a close three-way race, yeah, uh, and and 
and and and, and lose to the whoever the liberals nominated. So she became that liberal nominee. It is a little poetic, isn't it? That as we are reaching another brink of climate catastrophe, the Green Party might not fully die, but will be entirely beleaguered and just struggle on thanks to, in many cases, you know, the the uh, what I would call the greed atavistic nature of humanity. We might actually lose the Green Party the same way we're we're losing the environment. So I do like that. uh that poetic ending there, possibly. But I guess we'll see what's going to happen in the fall. I, I don't know. I, I Do you have any uh, updated numbers on that there, uh, Christo? Because this is this is unfamiliar times that we're living in. We, we talked previously about, you know, if how dealing with the pandemic will actually make Trudeau look like he's come ahead because, you know, people didn't have the same sort of calamity in many cases that we saw in the United States, thanks to those CERB payments and those uh, extended benefits, which we also know are absolutely within the purview of the NDP and the pushes that they made. But now we have more climate catastrophes. We have this huge indigenous genocide that is more front and center than I think maybe it's been in his entire uh, leadership. So yeah, is there, is there any idea of what right now, how it's looking for the fall or will this maybe just kind of all fall into the background as noise? Cause there's just so much shit going on right now. It's looking good for the liberals. Really? Right? With all of re- that, yeah. with yeah. all of that, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you look at three thirty-eight, they last updated their polling average on June 27th. I don't know if there's been any major polls since then given, you know, a long weekend and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has, they're averaging the liberals in the, mi- in the, in the mid to high thirties, the conservatives just below 30, the NDP at 19, the block at about seven, the greens at about six, the PPC 1.5. Um, and so they're putting the liberals right on the razor's edge of another majority government, uh, mm-hmm. even closer this time, but certainly with the ability to go above it and the conservatives well back about 50, 60 seats back. Um, and so right now, I don't know if it's necessarily Trudeau doing well, mm-hmm. although maybe people are happy because the vaccines have picked up pace. Yeah. But um, I think it's largely O'Toole has just utterly failed. Yeah. He's utterly failed to uh, to win over any any uh, lost voters that they had from you know Harper's 2011 win. Um, he hasn't been able to expand the base. And indeed, if you look at it, it looks like blue-red switchers have mostly moved to red. Because you know, if you recall in the last federal election, um, Justin Trudeau lost to Andrew Scheer on the popular vote. Mm-hmm. Andrew Scheer beat Justin Trudeau in a, in a, a, by getting more votes. Now, of course, that's not how it works in our system, but that's the reality. Um and so what was effectively like a one, two point lead for conservatives has turned into like an eight point lead for the liberals. If you're looking at a lot of these polls um, and that indicates to me that, you know, Trudeau has been able to convince a lot of these maybe suburban types, even more than in 2019, that you should stick with me because I'm good on the vaccines and blah, 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 blah. So as of right now, it looks good for the liberals to, 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 to win another government. Um, not necessarily a majority at this stage, yeah. but um, but they have the chance to win one. 
what happens with that? There's a lot of variables. Uh, does O'Toole find a second wind? It's possible, of course. Uh, how? What does the green collapse look like? Is it a sharp collapse in their vote? Does that benefit the NDP? Uh, does it not really benefit anyone? Because in most parts of the country, they don't have very many votes to lose. Mm -hmm. um, is the block successful? If the block is successful, um, it might not affect the... It might not look like it has a large effect on the national polling, but it could make a big difference in the Liberals' ability to win a majority, which depends often on a strong result in Quebec. So mm. if the bloc does well, it takes away the amount of... Um, it makes it harder for the Liberals to hit that magic number of 170 outside of Quebec, right? Mm -hmm. um, and finally, the NDP polling much better than they were in the run-up to 2019, uh, polling at 19% according to this polling average, which is better than the around 12, 13 they were polling going into the 2019 election. Uh, the question is, one, do they dip back or are they able to convince people, one, that Singh is the better progressive option, and two, that given O'Toole's just awful performance, there's no need to strategically vote as there was potentially in the previous election. So mm. even if one does believe in strategic voting, this might not be the election to do it because Trudeau has a very strong lead. And yeah. what made Trudeau responsive to people's demands, at least somewhat, was the fact that he had a minority government and not a majority government. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that second win from O'Toole would look like, because you've, we've just seen him notoriously make mistakes on seemingly both sides of his party. The the crazies that, you know, want the world to end and those that, you know, maybe are just a little more severe than uh, the liberals. But I, I wonder what the reaction would be if, we, if we're going down the path that we are now. And, you know, there is a hope for that, that generally our country will get more and more vaccinated that by you know september october will reach those marks that are close enough to open in the same degree that um you know the united states has generally i don't know what would be the cudgel that o'toole could use because i i don't know would it just perhaps be these sort of culture war issues where he takes things like canada day but even then i, I don't feel like he is speaking to a loud enough base like I, I i do think that he is kind of a relic when it comes to the issues that we're facing right now like i think he either has to get a lot more extreme which he possibly could do or he needs to drift even more to nebulous you know trumpisms if you will like, I, I, I don't see what will happen there, but it is grim to think that if things keep going as badly as they are now, it's very unlikely that anything will change within our government and we'll be facing the same sort of issues with the same sort of people that we have now. So that that is a, a yeah. scary proposition. We've talked about a lot of scary propositions here today, but that one is uh also a little bit terrifying you know i i am hopeful as i have been i just got to be a little bit right when we're talking yeah. about cthulhu rising i have yeah. to bring in just that hopeful notion of 20 year olds people a little younger than that people a little older than that and their willingness to speak out against issues and be connected to issues that will affect them in the future is not something that I've seen in my lifetime and is not something that I felt I had to do. And I think there is a large contingent of the Canadian population that are willing to do that. 
I don't know if it'll actually matter within polling numbers in meaningful ways in time. You know, like, I don't yeah. know if this will translate. And also, I think we all as much as I need to temper my hopefulness, there is that cohort of that generation that are equal with their enthusiasm, but for more extreme reactionary barbaric, you know, politics that, that want something yeah. that's even more uh, oppressive than what O'Toole is saying. So obviously not not every person younger than us is great and will bring on change. Like there's still little assholes that believe in terrible things like any generation. But, you know, if we yeah. don't have that, I don't think I don't think we're going to move enough people's minds who are you know, better than average in their mid to late fifties. Like I, I just don't think we're able to, and I don't think we should, like, I don't think progressive movements should necessarily buy in to that demo because the needs that are affecting everyone else are so much more important because it's destroying our, our nation. Like it, we, I think we're hurting our messaging perhaps if we try so hard to get, you know, the suburban moms, if you will. Like I think that's a uh, demo that's been, you know, praised around when talking about these things. And I, I just think it's more important to get people who are disaffected by Canadian politics more than, you know, rich white people that are university educated. And maybe that's my own prejudice coming out there, but it will be an interesting uh, November for sure. And an interesting fall, you know, if, if you're a betting man today, do you go majority or not? I'm still thinking it's a liberal minority. Okay. That's right. my, that's my inkling. I think that, um, you know, some voters will kind of default to back to the conservatives. Um, I, I don't know if Trudeau is going to be able to hold on to, uh, all the progressive votes. Uh, I do think it's going to be a minority, but Right now, I would suggest that it would be a, a an even they, they would still they, they would find a way to increase their their margin. So they'd be even closer to a majority than they are now. Um, mm. it, it might end up being a very similar government where it's technically a minority government uh, and it is, but it, it's not so narrow that they're utterly dependent on, say, just the NDP. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been historical governments where the conservatives and liberals are only one or two or three seats apart. Um, and, and in effect, the, the NDP actually does have a true balance of power. In this case, it's like the liberals just need the block or conservatives or NDP to vote with them on any particular bill. And it passes and they need all three of those parties simultaneously to oppose them. Mm. Uh, and that makes it a very stable minority. Yeah. I mean, the reality is we don't even need an election right now, right? Like Justin yeah. Trudeau would, will will demand one largely on the basis of the fact that he thinks he can increase his seat total. Um, um, and yeah, I we... think that's pretty selfish um, <laughs> because we are still in a pandemic um, and the parliament is not even, you know, it's it's hasn't been close to four years. It's not even, it's not even been two years yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think we're facing an election. As we noted, a big telltale sign is um, that in the last, um, you know, in, in June, they had a, a farewell session for members of parliament not running again. That's where Mumilat gave that, that fantastic mm -hmm. speech that we covered. But lots of other MPs that are, are not running or retiring or whatever um, gave those same speeches. And so... Um, that's a sign that we are going to an election. Although things could change. Again, if Trudeau, for whatever reason, uh, his numbers stop looking good, there's a fourth wave or whatever, mm -hmm. then he could easily pull the plug on an election call and it's not likely to happen. 
because I don't think that the other parties would unite to force one at this stage either. So there you have it, folks. We have the world slowly boiling, the devil coming out of the sea, and it seems that Justin Trudeau may have us by the proverbial knackers, if you will. So this is a uh, <laughs> a tough time as well to be in the world that we have now, but we try to find a little bit of hope. Uh, if you want to join our little alcove of community, head to patreon.com slash Canada. Uh, we'd never ask for you to give any more than you possibly can. Five bucks is more than enough. And we're even thinking about maybe shifting that a little bit just to get more people in here. But uh, yeah, the the Discord that we have is really great. It's so great to connect with so many different Canadians that, from all around the country that are speaking the issues that uh, that matter to them. So if you can please do uh, become a part of that community. And I don't know, Christo, next week, will we be talking still about the end of the world? Do you think that will be an ongoing motif that we gravitate to every single week here? Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. 